last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I was like, wow, look at those workout metrics. Wow, he's so athletic. Wow, how is he not good? And he killed himself by underperforming on the field. He killed himself? And having you two guys on is like when my wife met my girlfriend. And Jeff was riding in on a horse and he didn't know he had machine guns. And Private Powell! He's got PTSD from the Private Powell stuff. You might want to lay off. And I'll never forget the time you spent 15 minutes of airtime talking about maggots and uh, your, your wife's trash. The memory of that experience will never leave me. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, after a two-week hiatus, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. What is up, Matt? Happy Father's Day, Nate Liss. Oh, happy Father's Day to you, too. Feel great, man. Had a nice breakfast. Got a couple little gifts. Back from vacation. Been away from this microphone, been away from the buzzards for an extended period of time, and it feels good. How do you feel about it? Well, Matt, so I've been told an episode of Sonic Truth is heaven-like, yet the fans lose control when we miss time like Kevin White, but the committee's back like Freeman and Tevin Wright, that dynamic duo you all said you needed in your life. I'm doing pretty good, Matt. I haven't yet celebrated Father's Day because it's 8 a.m. over here. Was that a little ditty? Did you just do a little ditty? Yeah, it was a little ditty for the fans. That was a little ditty. That was good. I love that. I love a little surprise ditty. Just dropping in the show. Love it. Love it. Thanks, man. I I felt like it was needed um, with that big gap right there and uh, all the uh, comments we received on Twitter about it. It's good to give them something that they missed. So there you go. There's something for the crowd. Don't know what you got till it's gone. We needed to do that. We needed to be away for over a week to remind everyone, remind the listeners how much they love us. All of a sudden, week goes by, 10 days goes by, no Roto Underworld Radio, no Sonic Truth podcast, and you start feeling that urge, that burn, that desire. You need your fix. Where is it? Where is it? Why? Just don't show. Just, just don't show. Evan Silva tweeted about this. That tweet got over 125 likes, Nate. Over 125 people were feeling the same craving that Evan Silva was. They needed their fix. They needed their sonic truth. So now we're back. Now we're back. And I was reading some buzzard emails while I was gone, just soaking in the longing, the bittersweet nostalgia for the show that you just can't live without. This is from Wes Gaudier. I miss the podcast so much, man. Makes you realize how shitty all the other shows are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Wes. Uh Yes, yes, yes. You needed to feel the withdrawal symptoms to appreciate just how much you need Roto Underworld Radio. And you need the Sonic Truth pumping through your veins you got a taste of what it feels like to not have this show and it doesn't feel good does it oh no 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 it doesn't feel good at all it's a true craving for our show and it inspires nate and i to continue to do more and more and more and more shows it's interesting a podcast From Roto Underworld, whether it's Sonic Truth, whether it's Mind of Mansion, a show has always been available every week for the last two years. This is the first time in two years there hasn't been a show produced for a 10-day period. I mean, that's amazing. I'm patting myself on the back. I mean, that's amazing consistency. The work ethic, I mean, wow. That's why they call me the podfather right there. (laughs) Trust me, everyone. Trust me, we'll always be here for you. Right, Nate? 
Oh, yeah. All the time. Not going anywhere. You know, it definitely messed with people's routines because people also get a little upset when the show comes out on days that they didn't expect them to come out on. <laughs> yes, yes. Where's my podcast on Monday? Because on my drive to work, I listen to it. But when you completely remove the podcast altogether, unexpectedly, I think there was a warning. Yes, there was a warning flare shot in the air. Be careful, buzzards. Be <laughs> careful with your next tweet. Do not agitate us because we can take this away. Do not take us for granted. It can be taken away at a moment's notice. That's right. And it disappeared. And uh, like you said, people are realizing how much they need that in their life because they have to go to their alternative podcasts, you know, and, and uh -oh. sometimes you, you start to realize what the reality of that is. The bro casts with five guys trying to figure out who's going to talk next. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the alternative uh. this past week. Not going to do that to you again. We promise. We promise. My fingers are crossed. So the reason why I took some time off is because I was on vacation. Did you do anything interesting this past week, Nate? You know, do anything interesting, not necessarily, but have something interesting slash nightmarish happen. Yes, I, I did have that. Um, really? Yes. To make a long story condensed and much shorter, uh, due to athletics and just work-related stuff, I've got some back issues. So I told my wife, look. I'm going to spend a little money. I'm going to go get a new chair, a recliner. I deserve it. I'm going to buy one. I'm going to get the one I want. So I went to Lazy Boy, found a chair that I liked, got upsold, which doesn't normally happen to my people, got upsold. What do you mean your people? What are you talking about? You know, my people, the Jews. That's right. You're inferring that you're cheap because you're Jewish. True. Usually we haggle fixed prices, but they, they took me over and they torched me on a deal. So anyways. It makes sense that you went to Lazy Boy because you are lazy. <laughs> that's, that's right. It's Talk about aligning with the Nate List brand. Lazy Boy. Why aren't they sponsoring this show? So anyways, bought this chair, got it in some particular color. Took eight weeks to get it. Finally arrives. Get it to my house. What was the color, by the way? I don't know, some like light gray something or other. Something that they apparently don't have here in the States. So I don't know what happened. If they... Light gray? Yeah, it's like a light gray. We've got these. It, it, I don't want to get into the. We're out of light gray. We have to go overseas to get the, the light gray that Nate List needs. Well, they had to go find the light gray cow, right? And shoot it and skin it and make the chair. So it's cowhide? I, I don't. I don't know what it's made of. Okay, look, I'm not I'm not one of those people that It's a lazy boy. It's synthetic material. No, it's real. It's legit material. They can't possibly charge this much and it not be real. I don't want to know. So let's not talk about that. So I get the chair to my house finally after eight weeks. I don't know if this has come up before on the show. I know we've talked about it on the side. I have a dog, it's a puppy, German Shepherd. It's about a year and a half. She's got a little bit of a chewing problem. So uh, this is the night that my wife's coming home from vacation, so I go out, going to get some food, go get a sub sandwich, coming home, the dog's out in the house by herself, it's going to be a good day, the wife's going to finally see this chair that I've been texting her about for a week, taking selfies in, reclining it, different positions, so. Different positions? It reclines, and then it comes back up, and then it reclines again. There's like a figure eight position that this particular lazy boy has. Yeah, it does the zero gravity, the figure eight. Take your pick. Does them all. Different positions. So I've exhausted my camera phone taking these photos. So I come home. I come through the back door, turn the corner, and there's my dog laying down because she knows what she did. The area rug is pulled up. This chair, she pulled it eight feet from the wall, grabbing onto the corner of it, ripped up the base of it, ripped up the electronic controller for it. So the whole thing is totally dysfunctional. You, it doesn't work. You can't open it. You can't close it. I've had it three days at this point. So just got the bill for repairs on it, which I'm doing this week. And it's one-fifth the cost of the chair three days after I purchased it. So nonetheless, it Father's Day is a great day, but I, I, can't, I can't enjoy it in my chair. But I can, but... <laughs> so that's what we're dealing with. So when you, I think you told me you might have some advice on back issues. Yeah, I have a pro tip for you if you have a bad back. I drove and drove and drove and drove and drove and drove during this vacation. It was a Pennsylvania vacation. So we drove to York, Pennsylvania, then we drove to Pittsburgh, and then we drove to Hershey, and we drove back to Connecticut. So I'm driving a lot, five-hour stints, right? 
But before the trip, I ordered one of those weightlifting belts, the belts that movers use to support their back. And I wore one of those while driving. And this is a no-brainer. I might just wear this <laughs> to go to the grocery store. Five-minute drive, I'm going to be wearing this thing because it's great. After driving for two and a half hours, take a break, pull over, I get out from the car and I feel light. I feel almost weightless. I'm bouncing up and down. I feel terrific. Previous trips were a nightmare because my back would feel like it was being compressed and crunched and even getting out of the car would be a struggle. But on this trip, not at all. I felt terrific. My back felt fresh. My whole body felt light. This is something that anyone that has any kind of lower back pain should do. If you're going on a long trip, buy one of these belts and put it around your waist. And you feel great also when you go into the store and you leave the belt on. People look at you like, what are you doing? What the hell is that? Right? What are you, are you refilling the vending machine? What are you doing? So it's disorienting for people. They've never seen this before. Someone just get out of their car wearing one of these belts, but it's their loss because they're, they're great. <laughs> their loss. That's good. I've never heard of that before, but uh, having gone on long drives and having some back issues, that seems like a pretty uh, novel idea. Oh, it's brutal. Like, the pain would go down one of my legs. My hamstring would fall asleep. I had all these problems with these long trips, and this solved all of them. It was amazing. It was genius, and I had to share this with you and the audience. Also, we were at Hershey Park, and Hershey Park is actually not just like a chocolate factory tour. It's a full-blown amusement park. It's legit with legit roller coasters. And there's also a whole water park section, but it wasn't that warm. It was around 70 degrees, and 70 degrees isn't exactly water park temperature. But my daughter did want to go on some of these water park rides, and so I said, okay, we'll, we'll go on the water park rides. I'm not getting in the wave pool. Forget about it. No way. No how. I'm not a sucker. All these people, look at them. Suckers. This whole time, I'm just belittling all of these people wearing bathing suits, just shivering. You can see them shivering in line to get on the next water ride. And I'm like, look at these people. All marks. It's not warm enough. Like a broken record. Just, it's not warm enough. These people, what are they doing? These people are idiots. I'm not going to get wet. I know better than that. It's just not warm enough. What are you people doing? And so I was just walking around with this pretentious attitude, looking down on all of these amusement park goers participating in the water rides. And there's this one ride, this flume ride called the Tidal Surge, where everyone gets in this big boat and it goes down the ramp and there's this giant tidal wave and the splash goes way up in the air. You've seen this, right? I believe so. I don't know if uh, I know exactly which one this is. Is this the one that's in an intro of a TV show or something? Yes, yes. It's like step by step or something. Full house or step by step. Yes, they're on the bridge. Yes. And the bridge goes over where the boat goes down the ramp and it creates the huge splash. Yes. And so I'm laughing at these people. I'm watching these people go across this walking bridge, and they're about to get soaked. And I'm like, guys, it's 70 degrees. It's not warm enough. You're going to freeze your ass off as soon as you get wet. These people have no common sense. And my wife is just so sick of my attitude. She's so sick of my condescending attitude on this. But I won't stop. And she goes, well, if you want to get a good look at these people getting soaked, why don't you stand here as the boat comes down the ramp? You can watch everyone get wet, and you can make fun of them. And I was like, well, that sounds like a great idea. I'll do that. So I stand a good distance away from the bridge where the splashdown happens, and I'm looking right down the ramp. And my wife and daughter, they're shuffling behind me, away from me. The boat's coming down the ramp, and then the splashdown's happening. And I'm, like, laughing. And, and then in a moment, I realized, what's this? What's happening? A giant wave. <laughs> was not being stopped by this bridge or anything, and it was continuing to get bigger and bigger and taller and taller and gain momentum. And I realized, oh, my God! And then, it, boom! It came right at me. I could not get away. I was just paralyzed with fear as this giant tidal wave was coming straight at me and then just slams into me, and it knocks me backwards. It was violent and really wet. And then I looked down, and there was this big sign where I was standing that said Splash Zone. 
That's good. In parentheses, you will get wet. And I was not looking down. I was too busy making fun of everyone else that was about to get soaking wet. And I was drenched. And I look over at my wife and daughter, and they are cackling with laughter. They are bent over laughing because my whole face and outfit is just completely soaked. I had to take my sunglasses off and... There was a crowd gathering around me, looking at me, staring at me, pointing at me, laughing, and I was humiliated. And then I had to go and use one of those family dryers where you pay $5 and it blows the hot air. So I'm in this this dryer system, fully clothed, and my wife and daughter are still laughing. So it was basically five to ten minutes that they just could not stop laughing after watching me just get buried by a tidal wave. I couldn't move. I was so frozen with fear. I couldn't get out of the way. I saw my life flash before me and I was shivering and it was the perfect embodiment of karma. But but was it karma? I mean, did your wife not set you up? I don't know if that's karma unless it's I had it coming to me. You had it coming, that's for sure. I had it coming to me. And if I had any kind of common sense, I would have looked down. I would have seen, oh, wow, I'm standing in a really wet area. Like, it was soaking wet, the area I was standing in. But I have to say that that particular wave was much bigger because I kept looking back and thinking, is that the wave that always is generated? And then I kept looking back at future plunges, and the wave was not as big. I was hit by a rogue wave. A rogue wave. Oh, God. That was a middle finger from Rishi Park. I can see how, okay, I see how karma plays into this when 99% of the waves are 10 feet tall and then your wave was 35 feet tall. It makes sense how that was that was karma related. Your wife timed it perfectly. And I'm so that guy in an amusement park. Like I feel like I've got the whole amusement park figured out even though I've never been there. And I'm just criticizing everyone that's in a long line or that isn't doing it quite right, that's spilling a snow cone on themselves. And I'm always like, oh, that person doesn't know how to eat a snow cone. Oh, these people don't know what order to take which rides in. I'm that guy. You don't want to be that guy. Of course I'm that guy. I was born to be that guy. <laughs> well, karma karma strikes swiftly, apparently. So, well, that's good. That's that's good. It sounds like it was a good time. It was a good time until I got hit by a giant tidal wave. But when that wave hit me, an idea also struck me at the same moment. Mm. We don't know enough about these NFL players we're drafting on our fantasy football teams. And we sure as hell don't know enough about their situations to be so sure of ourselves, so confident in our forecasting. There's so much certainty in fantasy football analysis when there really isn't a lot of certainty to go around. Don't you find this to be the case? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a gamble from year to year if you're outside of the consensus top, you know, three, four running backs or receivers or whoever in fantasy football. So it's hard to predict but sometimes you have to make a choice. And I thought about this because Mike Randall, a writer for playerprofiler.com, he recently wrote an article on Player Profiler. Go check it out, playerprofiler.com forward slash articles. He writes about team backfield drafting. And there have been some great examples of team backfield drafting back through time. So last year, one of the great examples of team backfield drafting, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. That worked out really well for people. You get Devontae Freeman, that stable RB1 production. Then you get Tevin Coleman, the volatile, weak-winning production where he's scoring 30 points one week and six the next. So you put him at flex, and some weeks he actually helps you win your matchup. Loved Tevin Coleman last year for that reason. So he writes about this concept of team backfield drafting, and he wrote about it in a redraft context as a specific strand of zero RB theory. But the more I thought about backfield drafting, the more I realized, wow, this is not simply a redraft concept. This is also a draft concept that you can leverage in Dynasty Leagues. It can be a big part of your roster construction blueprint acquiring multiple members of NFL backfields. But I want to be clear, I don't think most backfields are worth chasing multiple assets. And Mike Randall laid this out in his article. What you want is to target the backfields for the prolific offenses, lots of red zone visits, lots of pass attempts. So your running backs can catch passes. Your running backs can score touchdowns, score fantasy points. And a running back is not going to catch a lot of passes. 
and is not going to score a lot of touchdowns playing for Jacksonville or playing for San Francisco. But like we saw in Atlanta last year, if you can get two fantasy viable running backs operating at a prolific offense, then that's a league winning strategy. What do you think of that? I think it makes a lot of sense. And I read his article and I see the definite purpose for it in you know a daily fantasy or obviously redraft. Um, but when you bring this into Dynasty, it's it's good to be able to look at these backfields and try to discern who's the best value player that you want to own. And like you talked about, you know, everybody wants certainty. It's difficult to be certain. And, and when you are certain, it's difficult to be right. So part of the goal with drafting these backfields is, is to get that best value player in a prolific offense that in the event of an injury or in a split backfield, you're getting that production, whether it's flex production or with an injury. For instance, Devonta Freeman goes down. Tevin oh. Coleman's a surefire starter, oh. right? So Devontae Freeman goes down. Tevin Coleman's a top three running back in the NFL. That's what he is. But the problem is so many analysts have already made up their minds about Tevin Coleman. They think they know who Tevin Coleman is. They think they know what Tevin Coleman can offer. And the idea that Tevin Coleman could be a top three running back for fantasy football is heresy because so many fantasy football analysts are so sure about where they've slotted players in particular tiers. Tevin Coleman's not an elite running back, Nate. And I don't even want to consider the possibility that he could be an elite running back because that would short circuit my entire player valuation model. But this is the problem. It's a psychological problem called information craving. The human mind craves information that it can then process and produce certainty. The brain is predisposed to recognize patterns and draw concrete conclusions. Concrete conclusions provide order and direction for the brain, and it minimizes stress and tension. This is why humans inherently enjoy games like solitaire and Sudoku, because the brain can pick up on patterns and understand what's coming next and what to do next. It's soothing. You'll find the same with songs. Songs with repeating patterns are soothing to the brain. The brain loves to be able to predict what comes next. The ability to predict what comes next generates this endorphin rush. That's why we crave information and we crave tiers and rankings that give us this clear, concrete definition of the world. And that's why no one talks about backfield drafting. Because when you draft an entire backfield, because you admit you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know how good Tevin Coleman can be with the backfield to himself, you're admitting that you don't have all the information, that there is significant uncertainty, that to draw a concrete conclusion is misguided. And it's not just misguided. To me, it's arrogant. It's bold arrogance to say, you know what's going to happen with the Washington backfield this year. Nobody knows what's going to happen with the Washington backfield this year. Nobody. Nobody. Not even Jay Gruden knows. Because training camp hasn't happened yet. And preseason hasn't happened yet. And we don't know what Samaj P. Ryan is in an NFL context. And until we have more information about what Samaj P. Ryan is in the context of an NFL team, we're not going to know who the primary running back for Washington is going to be in 2017. But when you read fantasy football analysis, there's this definitive certainty that Samaj P. Ryan is the guy and that Rob Kelly is simply a placeholder. And drafting Rob Kelly in Dynasty is a wasted pick. He might start two or three games and then he'll never see the field again <laughs> because Samaj P. Ryan is coming. <laughs> you just wasted a pick on Rob Kelly. Enjoy those couple weeks while he's a starter, keeping that seat warm for Samaj P. Ryan, one of the best running backs in the history of the NFL. <laughs> really? Because other than being strong Samaj P. Ryan doesn't have an impressive prospect profile wasn't a dominant producer at Oklahoma splitting touches with Joe Mixon didn't catch a lot of passes because that was Joe Mixon's role and wasn't particularly athletic other than being incredibly strong so I'm not so sure why 
anyone would simply assume that Samaj P. Ryan is the primary back in waiting in Washington. This is before we even talk about injuries, Nate. And every year, more and more NFL players are getting hurt. It's a real problem, particularly at the running back position and the tight end position. The injury rates are incredibly high. Even David Johnson couldn't get through the 2016 season without getting injured in the final week. Why he was playing in the final week of the season, I have no idea. I was fucking stupid. (laughs) There I go again. Second-guessing the coach with hindsight bias. But that's the beauty of backfield drafting is it's the humble approach. It recognizes that we as fantasy gamers have an unhealthy craving for information and certainty. It recognizes that our projections are incredibly fragile and that the best way to ensure that you're going to get production from the running back position is to monopolize the running back assets that are operating in these prolific offenses like Washington. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with your point on the hate for Rob Kelly. You know, you never know. Samaj P. Ryan could ascend at some point this season to the top guy in this offense. He's being drafted in the first round of dynasty drafts. He better ascend, Nate. He better. But if you've drafted Samaj P. Ryan in the first round and you're not going out and acquiring Rob Kelly for a fourth rounder for a negligible cost then you're derelict in your duty as a dynasty owner. You are practicing extreme arrogance, thinking that you know exactly how the roles in this backfield are going to play out. You don't. You don't know what Jay Gruden is thinking. And there are few offenses in this league. I mean, if we're talking about Washington specifically, you're starting one player or the other, you know, and and you hope to God it doesn't go to a hot hand scenario where they go, oh, today before the game starts, you know, Samaj P. Ryan's the guy. He's going to get the bulk of the carries today, and then he ends up getting four, and Rob Kelly ends up getting 22. You don't want to play that gamble, but you want to own both if you own Samaj because if P. Ryan goes down, you want to have the running back behind him who did have a decent year and runs in an offense that's going to be really good. There's few offenses in the NFL where you can own multiple players and start them. You know, you could start both Duke Johnson or Isaiah Crowell. You may not start them both if you own them. I've never been in that role, but you could start either one if you own them in an offense. Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman, another example of that. So in these offenses where you need to have one or the other, if it's a prolific offense like Matt was saying, you want to own both. And at the cost of owning Rob Kelly, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. If you own Samaj P. Ryan and you don't own Rob Kelly, you're doing it wrong. What are some other offenses where you're drafting multiple running back assets in the backfield? Well, what do you think about the Tennessee Titans? That seemed like a place you would want to start to draft two running backs if you could get them. Of course. There are very few examples better than the Tennessee Titans when you start talking about backfield drafting, specifically in dynasty leagues, because we know DeMarco Murray is the primary back now, but we also know that Derrick Henry is one of the most impressive running back talents in the NFL. Incredibly dominant running back at Alabama with some of the best size-adjusted athleticism we've ever seen. So, of course, I'm drafting Derrick Henry if I own DeMarco Murray. If you own DeMarco Murray and you're not targeting Derrick Henry, then I give up. I don't know why you're listening to this show. (laughs) You're just out there making it up as you go along. You clearly are not operating with any kind of rational strategy, so I have no idea why you would find this show appealing or interesting in any way. So, of course, everyone that listens to this show who owns DeMarco Murray already has Derrick Henry waiting in the wings because DeMarco Murray could get hurt, and then Derrick Henry becomes the primary ball carrier for an ascending offense. The Tennessee Titans are going to be one of the top 10 most efficient offenses in the league this year, and it looks like they have a top five run-blocking offensive line. Did you see their offensive line at those Nashville Predator games? Those guys are a cohesive unit. They love spending time together, and they love playing football together, smashing the heads of the defensive linemen that are standing in the way of their running backs. So you have an ascending, high-octane offense with one of the best run-blocking offensive lines. Yes, that's the definition of the perfect team for which you would target the entire backfield 
for your Dynasty League team. All right, so that was too obvious. Of course you want DeMarco Murray for the now and Derrick Henry for the future in Dynasty Leagues. But it's interesting when you look at that DeMarco Murray contract. DeMarco Murray is signed through 2019, and he's not expensive. The most he's going to make in any year through 2019 is $6.5 million. So DeMarco Murray's not going anywhere anytime soon. But the reason why you must own Derrick Henry beyond injury insurance is that it's conceivable that DeMarco Murray misses time with a minor injury. Let's say he gets a high ankle sprain and misses two games. What happens if Derrick Henry goes out and posts monster performances in those two games? The coaches will not be able to take him off the field. It immediately becomes a split backfield when DeMarco Murray returns. That's another reason why you must draft Derrick Henry because it could become a split backfield if Derrick Henry proves himself to be a dominant runner, which I believe he is. But because that offense is so efficient and I believe will be top 10 in the league in scoring, there will be enough opportunities for both running backs to be fantasy viable in a split backfield situation. Okay, so here's a question. Here's another backfield that has a good offense and is also ascending. What are you doing with the Houston Texans? Who are you taking there? Why is that offense ascending? New quarterback. New quarterback that will be in the CFL in a couple years. Okay, Deonta Foreman in there. They're not They're not one of the worst NFL run-blocking teams. The way we talked about this segment before the show started is that you were going to give me the most obvious backfield tandems to target. And at the top, you're going Houston Texans? Off the top of the head. Okay, how about the... What are you talking about? No, I'm not targeting both Lamar Miller and Dante Foreman. Absolutely not. This is not a prolific offense, and this is not a top run-blocking offensive line. So the Texans have neither of the qualities that I'm looking for when I'm backfield drafting in Dynasty Leagues. With a team like Houston, an average offense, an average run-blocking offensive line, I'm simply picking a winner. I'm picking the running back I think is the future and could be a workhorse. And in Houston, I would target Dante Foreman, and that's it. That would be the end of it. Okay, so you're going to get a similar result here, regardless of how I propose this question. Dallas Cowboys, what are you doing in Dallas? Well, the Dallas Cowboys are an ascending offense with an elite run-blocking offensive line. In redraft, I'm not drafting Darren McFadden. Absolutely not. Why would you do that? That's a wasted pick in redraft. Because after week one and two, Ezekiel Elliott will likely not be hurt. And you'll find some breakout player that you want to add, and Darren McFadden will be the guy you ultimately drop. So it will be a wasted roster spot for two weeks if you draft Darren McFadden in redraft. However, in Dynasty, you have to draft Darren McFadden. Of course you're drafting Darren McFadden, because in Dynasty, the typical roster size is 25 to 30 players as opposed to redraft which is 15 players with those extra 10 to 15 roster spots you better be drafting Darren McFadden just in case that's how you build an anti-fragile roster in dynasty when there is no stream when you can't just pick running backs off the waiver wire in a deep dynasty league you have to make sure you draft handcuffs for your elite backs, particularly the elite backs in the elite offenses. How about the Indianapolis Colts? What are you doing there? We got an aged Frank go. Gore. Here we go. Yes. And we've got a yes. young running back, yes. Marlon Mack, behind yes. him. Yes. Yes. What are we doing there? This is the perfect example, the quintessential team that is screaming, consolidate this backfield. Monopolize the running backs in the high octane offense. Yes. Perfect situation to implement backfield drafting. Frank Gore is the guy this year. Marlon Mack is the guy for the future. That's so straightforward. But also, Marlon Mack has standalone value in 2017, even if Frank Gore plays, because I think Frank Gore is getting older. His efficiency has been waning. And the Indianapolis Colts used fourth-round draft capital on Marlon Mack. I believe they got a great value because Marlon Mack has true bell cow traits. Look on playerprofiler.com. Who is he comparable to? Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon? Yeah, he's really good. Also, Marlon Mack, 80th percentile college target share. Why was Marlon Mack so heavily used in the passing game? Because he's a great route runner. You watch South Florida, and they're lining Marlon Mack up all over the field. They're lining him up in the slot. They're sending him out in motion. They're having him flare out as a check down option. 
So I think Marlon Mack will be more heavily used in the passing game than anyone believes, giving both Gore and Mack standalone value. And then if Frank Gore is either marginalized because he's just too ineffective, which could happen as the season goes on, or at some point in the season, like we talked about with DeMarco Murray, Frank Gore could suffer a high ankle sprain, could miss two games. And then Marlon Mack could be bananas. Marlon Mack could come in, post two 100-yard games, be much more productive than Frank Gore has for years, and the Colts must then implement an even timeshare upon Frank Gore's return. So for those reasons, you have to roster Marlon Mack if you own Frank Gore in all formats. And if you went out and drafted Marlon Mack in Dynasty League rookie drafts in round two, just like if you drafted Samaj P. Ryan and you have to go pay the going rate for Rob Kelly, which isn't very much, you need to go pay the going rate for Frank Gore because it isn't that much. It's not, it's not that much. It's nothing. All right, let's let's move on to another one. Oh, and before we go, so you're not touching Robert Turbin. You're not afraid of the Robert Turbin factor? Is that a no? Not in Dynasty. Absolutely not. We're looking forward in Dynasty. We're trying to think what the future holds for the backfield. I can't in my mind's eye envision a backfield where Robert Turbin is dominating the touches. I think <laughs> if Frank Gore does suffer a high ankle sprain, it's going to be a 60-40 split with Marlon Mack getting between the tackles carries and most of the targets out of the backfield and Robert Turbin getting some between the tackles work and short yardage work, but that won't be enough for me to be interested in rostering Robert Turbin in Dynasty. Let's move to one of the more interesting offensive backfields in the league. This is a team that went and drafted another running back this year, signed a running back this year. We thought we knew who the running back was before the draft happened. What about the New Orleans Saints? What are we doing there? The New Orleans Saints are an interesting case because I like backfield drafting when I know there are essentially two options that are interesting. Indianapolis, perfect example. You have Frank Gore, you have Marlon Mack, that's it. No Robert Turbin. It's more muddled in New Orleans. Much more ambiguous backfield when you have Adrian Peterson and Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. But this is absolutely the type of backfield you're targeting because you want to consolidate the running backs on teams that score a lot of points and block well. The New Orleans Saints offensive line renaissance has been the underreported phenomenon in all of fantasy football. On playerprofiler.com, we look at the rate in which running backs are stuffed. We look at adjusted line yards. We look at how often a player is propelled into the second level and create a run-blocking efficiency grade. Well, the New Orleans Saints posted a 140.6 offensive line efficiency grade, number one in the NFL last season. Now, unfortunately, New Orleans lost their starting left tackle, Teron Armstead, to a torn labrum. He won't be back until later in the season. This could significantly affect their run blocking because the right tackle has to move to left tackle. The swing tackle has to move to right tackle. They might change the guard assignments. Losing Teron Armstead could significantly impact the run blocking efficiency of the New Orleans Saints. But fortunately, they have Drew Brees. And the most important thing is that Drew Brees matriculates the ball downfield and maximizes Adrian Peterson's red zone visits. So regardless of how much the Teron Armstead injury impacts the Saints run blocking, both Adrian Peterson and Alvin Kamara will be operating in one of the league's most prolific offenses with a good offensive line. That's precisely the team for which you want to accumulate running back assets. But at the same time, you can't justify stashing three running backs per team because that's not scalable. If you hoard three running backs per team for three teams, that's nine players. Those are all the running backs that you can draft in a dynasty league. You can't have nine players across three teams for your dynasty league roster. That's just not scalable. So what do you do? When I'm backfield drafting, I choose two running backs. And in the case of the New Orleans Saints, I'm actually not drafting Mark Ingram because I don't think Mark Ingram is a good value in Dynasty. I think Mark Ingram's touches will be squeezed significantly in 2017, and his Dynasty ADP is simply too high. Mark Ingram's not a good value, so I'm staying away from Mark Ingram, but I am backfield drafting the New Orleans Saints. I'm drafting both Adrian Peterson and Alvin Kamara. I've been drafting Kamara in the late first round 
frequently this season. It's either been Kamara or David Njoku. Those have been my targets in the late first round of Dynasty League rookie drafts. And then I've been going out and making sure that I pair Kamara with Adrian Peterson. Why? Because like Frank Gore and like Rob Kelly, he's not expensive. You can get Adrian Peterson for Chris Conley. You can get Adrian Peterson for a wide receiver with upside. You can get Adrian Peterson for a future third-round pick in rookie drafts. He's just not expensive. And yet, he's going to be the the between-the-tackles grinder for the New Orleans Saints, a team that was the best run-blocking unit in football last season. And Adrian Peterson is coming from a team that was the worst run-blocking unit in football last season. The Minnesota Vikings finished last in run-blocking efficiency on (laughs) playerprofiler.com. And what are they saying about Adrian Peterson? The off-season reports are that he looks phenomenal. 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 Because, of course, he looks phenomenal. He's Adrian Peterson. He's a Hall of Famer. He's only 32 years old. Plenty of running backs have been productive at age 32, particularly those that are mythological creatures that cannot be broken unless they're broken like every year, heard all the time, like Adrian Peterson. Tim Hightower was a league-winning running back two years ago. Why? Because Tim Hightower was getting goal-line carries for a team that was in the red zone a lot and scoring a lot of points. That's what you want. That's why Adrian Peterson hasn't been as productive as he should have been the last couple years, because he was wallowing on that Minnesota Vikings offense. If you're stuck in an anemic offense, you're not going to be a big-time fantasy producer. But if you're on the New Orleans Saints... Even Tim Hightower, a 30-year-old who was out of football for years and was never a good athlete, even going back to his prime years, he comes in and puts up weekly RB1 numbers at the end of 2015. Do you all remember this? If Tim Hightower can do that, what do you think Adrian Peterson's going to do in that role? (laughs) Adrian Peterson is going to win many Dynasty League teams a championship this season. And then you also have Alvin Kamara. If something happens to Adrian Peterson or an injury befalls Mark Ingram, well, Alvin Kamara is necessarily going to receive more touches. Because if Adrian Peterson gets hurt, they can't give all the touches to Mark Ingram. Alvin Kamara will get both carries and targets if either of those players goes down. And even if Adrian Peterson and Mark Ingram are healthy, I believe Alvin Kamara will have a role in the passing game. He will be their satellite back. So Alvin Kamara has standalone value as a satellite back with significant upside in the event of an Ingram or Peterson injury. So you have an electric satellite back in the best offense for scoring fantasy points and an inexpensive Hall of Famer getting high-leverage touches in this offense as well, that's the duo I would target in New Orleans. All right, let's let's move to another one. I, I like all those takes on Adrian Peterson. I mean, you look at his age. I can't believe I'm an Adrian Peterson fan. I've spent years shredding Adrian Peterson, mocking all of those, drafting Adrian Peterson in the first round. Ahead of players like, oh, I don't know, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. Remember last year when certain experts had Adrian Peterson ranked as their number one running back? (sighs) It was just last year. That was just last year. On the Minnesota Vikings with Sam Bradford at quarterback, you had fantasy experts, in quotes, experts in quotes, touting Adrian Peterson as the number one running back in fantasy. Now he's on the New Orleans Saints. And he's an afterthought? What is happening? This is the first time in my life I've been a full-blown Adrian Peterson fan. I'm going to go out and buy an Adrian Peterson jersey. And this is a player that I haven't come anywhere close to drafting in my entire time as a fantasy football enthusiast. It's taken until age 32 for Adrian Peterson's value to get to a place where I believe he's worth drafting. And he's not merely worth drafting. He's an exceptional value. He's one of the best value players in all of fantasy at this moment. It'll be really interesting to see how Kamara gets deployed too, because depending on the squeeze on Ingram, like you're saying, last year Ingram had 58 targets. Brandon Cooks left this offense. That's 117 there. Maybe they're going to go back to the small game through the running back. You know, yep. the, the Sproles-like yep. game. So yep. Alvin Kamara's ownership yep. is cheap. Yep. Peterson, Kamara. Forget Ingram. Mm. He's still young. All right, let's move on to the next offense. Wait, what was that? He's still young. Who? He's 27. He's not old. Ingram's been wildly productive. Oh, oh, we know that you are not an unbiased 
Mark oh Ingram analyst. I own him across all my leagues. Yes, you do. So we're not listening to Nate Liss on Mark Ingram. And enough of these little asides. I heard that. Let's drive this ADP up. Okay, so here's a question for you. Another good offense. Another good run blocking offense. Pittsburgh Steelers. What are we doing there behind one of the top three backs? Maybe overall number one behind David Johnson. What are you doing there? Well, it's an interesting thing that we do with information craving and this zeal for certainty that I think all human beings are predisposed to. This idea that we know for certain that Ezekiel Elliott is in the same echelon as David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. Well, I disagree with that. This is why I really despise the tiers that you see in fantasy football. Oh, the top tier, you have David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott. I'd take any of those three guys. Love those three guys. Those guys are locks. Well, they're not locks, actually. None of them are locks. We're not sure what these guys are exactly. The Pittsburgh Steelers have had one of the best run-blocking offensive lines, which has allowed Le'Veon Bell to demonstrate great patience and vision. But what would we think of Le'Veon Bell if he were on the Rams the last few years? Would we think of Le'Veon Bell as this incredibly patient runner with the best vision of any running back in the NFL? If he's not afforded the space and the time to find the hole and then slide through it, will we ever give him credit for having great vision? Will he ever be a back for which we praise his patience? I don't know because I've had a reckoning with my own uncertainty about all players including Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson, because there are still analysts out there questioning David Johnson's ability to run between the tackles. But I'm the most certain about David Johnson because David Johnson achieved a 300-point fantasy season last year operating on an offense without an efficient run-blocking offensive line. That, to me, was one of the great accomplishments of any player in 2016. When you talk about Ezekiel Elliott, he flashed big plays at Ohio State. Well, who else flashed big plays as a running back at Ohio State? Mike Weber? Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel led all college running backs in yards per carry last year. Why? Because he was operating in that Ohio State system. And then the year before Ezekiel Elliott arrived, Darren McFadden was top four in the NFL in rushing yards, one of the more productive fantasy assets in 2015. So how good is Ezekiel Elliott? Well, I don't know for certain how good Ezekiel Elliott actually is. But this craving for certainty leads many fantasy analysts just to to check the elite box next to Ezekiel Elliott and just move on. And I'm not ready to move on with any of these players, including Le'Veon Bell. And for that reason, I'm drafting James Conner in Dynasty Leagues if I own Le'Veon Bell. Because of course, of course... James Conner's a third-round pick. Go to playerprofiler.com, scroll down to the medical history report on Le'Veon Bell, and there you'll see foot sprains, concussions, MCL, PCL tears, knee hyperextensions, major injuries to Le'Veon Bell. You just want the running back that's going to be getting the majority of the touches in that prolific Pittsburgh offense with that top-five run-blocking offensive line. So you're damn right I'm drafting James Conner if I own Le'Veon Bell. And if you're not, you're doing your Dynasty League team a disservice. And the thing about James Conner is, like any of these other rookies, we've said this before, you haven't seen him play in the NFL. So there's no way to tell if he's going to be good, average, great, a bust. But he's the number two in a great offense that funnels a lot of it through their running back. So for that reason alone, you need to own him behind Bell. But one point I wanted to make about the Elliott Johnson Bell conversation is that if Bell wasn't injured, he's easily north of 100 targets. He had 94 in 12 games. So Bell is probably right around David Johnson's targets for the year of 120 when the season ends. Well, Le'Veon Bell's value over stream was higher than David Johnson's last year. David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell both had the highest value over stream on playerprofiler.com that we've seen in the last five years. The top value over streams were both achieved in 2016, and the third highest value over stream in that period isn't even close to what Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson did last year. What both of those running backs did in fantasy football last year was historic. And Well, what I wanted to say, though, is Ezekiel Elliott didn't even eclipse 40 targets. That's one-third of what Bell and Johnson would have had for the entirety of the season. But he's in their tier, Nate. 
He's in the top tier. So that's the point I'm trying to make. It's, he's in the tier. It doesn't matter. They're all the same in that tier. <laughs> right. They're all the same. I'm certain of it. I'm certain. I know this for sure. Ezekiel Elliott is an elite NFL talent. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I've already drawn this concrete conclusion, and you inserting this uncertainty just stresses me out. Sorry, man. Stop stressing me out. I don't need Sorry. this in my life. Sorry. I don't need uncertainty. I just want to know definitively what players are good, what players are bad, which tiers they fall in, and then I can just draft with complete certainty, and I don't need to worry about what happens when a player isn't as good as I thought he was or he gets injured. I never have to worry about that. I'm just going to draft Samaj P. Ryan knowing he's going to be the starter this year, and I don't want to hear anything more about it. These alternate realities where Rob Kelly is the starter are not part of my consideration. If there were boxes of cereal in a grocery store, and there was a David Johnson box and a Le'Veon Bell box and an Ezekiel Elliott box, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell would be under the 66% more in the targets. So if you want Elliott, realize 40 targets on the year. David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, 80 more targets. 80 more targets each on the year. Did you just come up with that grocery store analogy? Yeah, it didn't weave together well. But the point that I want to make is there's wide receivers in this league that don't see 80 targets. So 80 targets each more than Zeke Elliott had. All right, we're, we're moving on. I, I'm going to lose my mind talking about Elliott too. We talked a little bit about it. We might as well go over to it. Arizona, David Johnson. Are you owning anybody behind David Johnson? Yes, you better own Kerwin Williams for the same reasons you're owning James Conner. Just in case something happens to David Johnson, you want Kerwin Williams. Now, the difference is Arizona does not have a top five run blocking offensive line. So if David Johnson gets hurt, it, it's probably a committee. So number one, Kerwin Williams won't be as effective as David Johnson as his replacement. And number two, he won't be replacing all of David Johnson's touches one for one. That's the handcuff fallacy. Of course, I'm not drafting James Conner or Darren McFadden or Kerwin Williams in a redraft context because the opportunity cost is too great. I'd much rather draft exciting players that could break out in week one. But in Dynasty, when I have 25 to 35 roster spots, you're damn right I'm drafting Kerwin Williams. Kerwin Williams is now the definitive number two running back for the Arizona Cardinals. And I can only say definitive with definitive certainty because the Arizona Cardinals announced this on Twitter. I mean, it's very rare that a team comes out and announces Player X is now our number two running back on the depth chart or quarterback on the depth chart. That's just not something that teams typically do. They let us go try and figure it out on our own. But the Arizona Cardinals are waving the flag for Kerwin Williams. And that gave me the green light to go out and acquire Kerwin Williams in all the leagues in which I own David Johnson because I have a humble approach to constructing a dynasty league roster, not an arrogant approach where I assume that I know exactly how my players are going to perform, and I assume exactly how many games they're going to play. I don't know these things. Okay, so let's move on to a team that does have a top five run blocking line and does have a young running back in it that did get 10 more targets than Ezekiel Elliott on the year. Ooh. What are we doing in Chicago with Jordan Howard? Their run blocking offensive line is impressive, but their overall offense is anemic. Even though Jordan Howard posted 1,314 rushing yards, number two in the NFL, only 31 red zone carries that was outside the top 20. Why? Because the Bears don't visit the red zone very often. And if it's not Jordan Howard, I'm not interested on the Chicago Bears. I'm not, I'm not interested in Jeremy Langford. I'm not interested in Benny Cunningham. I'd be more interested in Jeremy Langford if Benny Cunningham hadn't signed there. The problem with Jeremy Langford is we now have this uncertainty of whether or not he is actually the handcuff to Jordan Howard. So we're not even sure who the handcuff is, and we're not sure how the touches would break down between Langford and Cunningham in the event of a Howard injury. And we are sure there won't be many red zone visits. So for that reason, I'm staying away from every Bears running back not named Jordan Howard. Okay, so here's a question. Next team, let's just move on. And that there's nothing else to say in Chicago. I totally agree. What are we doing in Oakland then? Great offensive line. Older, once prolific running back moves in. Two running backs behind him. There you go. That's the perfect scenario where you have an exceptional run-blocking offensive line and an ascending offense. So every year, the offensive efficiency goes up in Oakland and the run-blocking unit continues to coalesce. So 
that's the recipe we're looking for to draft a backfield. Ideally, a duo, not three guys. So if I'm picking between DeAndre Washington and Jalen Richard to pair with Marshawn Lynch, I'm picking DeAndre Washington. Why? Because DeAndre Washington is an exceptional athlete. Jalen Richard is not. DeAndre Washington has a 124.484th percentile Spark X score. Do you know what Jalen Richard's Spark X score is? I do not. What is it? Venture a guess. Can I give you a percentile? Yes. Ooh. Um, let's go 65th. Zero. Ooh. Zero. Ooh. Zero. And the reason why, this is the reason. This is, I'm serious. This is the reason that was given for why Jalen Richard only ran a 4.6540, why his burst was under the 50th percentile, and why his agility score was an unbelievable 12.31. 12.31. The reason why? Because there was bad weather during his pro day. That was the reason. What do you think of that reason? I could see it. Yeah, you know what? I'm fine with it. There was bad weather during uh, Cook's three cone, too. There was some thunderheads over the top, and you know some things didn't work out favorably. So that makes sense. Actually, that makes sense. Dalvin Cook's 727 three cone. I'm getting that tattooed. I'll never forget. Wait, you're actually buying that? So we should assume that Jalen Richard is actually athletic because it rained on his pro day? It's like rain. Pro. You don't see the NFL combine outside. So to be fair, obviously doing things indoors is significantly better, especially being on AstroTurf. But what do we like in our running backs? We like them to be high BMI, dominant college producers that are also great size-adjusted athletes. Jalen Richard checks none of those boxes. College dominator rating, 35th percentile. He's 5'8", 207. So he has a lower BMI than DeAndre Washington. He was not as productive in college as DeAndre Washington, and he's not even close to the level of athlete that DeAndre Washington is. And DeAndre Washington was surprisingly efficient in his rookie year. Most rookies are not efficient. Inefficiency is a calling card of rookie year performances, particularly for running backs. Not so with DeAndre Washington. He had a positive production premium. His 8.1 breakaway run rate was top five in the NFL. And his 5.7 yards per touch, top 15 in the NFL. So that's what we like in Dynasty. Efficient rookie years that players can build on. That's DeAndre Washington. You need to pair DeAndre Washington with Marshawn Lynch for the same reason you're pairing Alvin Kamara with Adrian Peterson and Marlon Mack with Frank Gore. I think the Frank Gore-Marlon Mack duo is incredibly similar to the Marshawn Lynch-DeAndre Washington duo. Except that the Oakland Raiders have a better run-blocking offensive line than the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, here's another duo that I think parallels the two that you just said. Let's move on to the next team. What about the New York Jets? Matt Forte, Bilal Powell, what's happening there? Okay, before the show, you and I talked about listing all the prolific offenses first so we could get them out of the way. Then you would go through all the rest of the teams, and I would comment on them. What are you doing asking me about the New York Jets before the New England Patriots? What the fuck are you doing? Do you know about this team in New England called the Patriots that have a backfield that's incredibly ambiguous that you probably want to monopolize? Right. I'm naming the offensive. I'm going down the line of offensive lines. I've hit some prolific ones. Of course, you're not drafting multiple running back assets on the New York Jets. The Jets are similar to the Bears, except they don't have a great run blocking offensive line. So it's an even worse situation. It's one of the least attractive situations for backfield drafting in the NFL. So like with the Bears, you just go with Jordan Howard. And if you don't have Jordan Howard, forget about it. In New York, you go with Bilal Powell. And if you don't have Bilal Powell, forget about it. Because it's one thing to have an aging, inefficient running back like Marshawn Lynch or Adrian Peterson or Frank Gore when they're receiving significant red zone touches. It's another thing if you have a declining running back like Matt Forte trapped in an anemic offense. So that's not great value. I know you can get Matt Forte very late in Dynasty startups, but even late, Matt Forte is a wasted roster spot. But I am interested in Bilal Powell because Bilal Powell could easily become the workhorse this season, and he's very active in all phases, and he's inexpensive. So for that reason, I'm still targeting Bilal Powell, even though I don't love the offensive situation. And it doesn't project to change anytime soon in Dynasty. So I think that Bilal Powell will be trapped on an anemic offense for years, 
but he might produce in spite of that. You know, man, I'm going back thinking about what just happened with the Jets. I thought that when we talked before, we were looking at offensive lines and we wanted to find the ones with good run blocking. Then at some point it shifted to prolific offenses. You know, I honestly, I don't even know why we, we came back. We should just end the show right now. I apologize to everybody. I know we had I mean, the- you don't know why we came back and, and started doing the show again, why we brought the Sonic Truth back. We brought the Sonic Truth show back because you and I love doing this podcast and the people love the show. That's why we did it. Are you questioning why we're even doing a show just because you're mad that I insulted the order in which you listed teams? That's right. You you insulted my random order. I'm just... It was random. You just admitted it was random. And we talked about it not being random. No, we well, there was no set order that we were going off of. Look, I tried to pick the ones that I thought were going to work. You know what, man? I don't have to take this shit. We tried to make this thing work. We got through 10 of them. It's Father's Day. This isn't working. Maybe we need to just come back with a clean slate the next time. Because I go to the Jets. I try to give you an offense. Fine. No, 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 Fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's, fine. it's ridiculous. Shut the show down. Take a breath. We'll come back next week. We'll talk about some more backfield. I just want to go downstairs and sit on my broken chair. You know? That's all I want to do. That's it. That That's where I'm at right now. Wait, is it broken or fixed? It's not fixed yet. I've got the bill for it because I know what it's going to cost to do it, but I don't. it's not fixed yet. And it's even more. Wait, can you sit on it? Yeah, I can, but I need a stepladder to get on it because the leg is fully reclined because when the dog broke the remote, she stuck it in the recline position. So I have to rock climb my way up to the top of it, which makes us all the... Anyways, look, let's just let's just come back next week like you said. I'm just I'm tired of this. We're never going to get through all these teams. I want to talk about every team's backfield and whether or not you should monopolize the running back assets on those teams. So we'll just keep this segment vehicle running for the next few shows. I mean, you should be happy about it cuz I think I left off five of the top 10 prolific offenses. You definitely did, and I'm infuriated by it, and we just need to go. I'm infuriated for you. That's great. Let's go. Show's over. Done. That's good. It sounds like it was a good time. It was a good time until I get hit by a giant tidal wave. He'll never see the field again. <laughs> because Samaj P. Ryan is coming. <laughs> you just wasted a pick on Rob Kelly. Enjoy those couple weeks while he's a starter, keeping that seat warm for Samaj P. Ryan. If there were boxes of cereal in a grocery store, and there was a David Johnson box, and a Le'Veon Bell box, and there was a David Johnson box, and a Le'Veon Bell box, and there was a David Johnson box, and a Le'Veon Bell box. Oh yeah, I mean it's a, it's more of just a sad story about me buying a new chair that I spent a lot of money on, because got some back problems from days of athletics and things like that and i've been trusting my german shepherd to be out and about in the house by herself she's still a puppy and i had it three days waited eight weeks to get it and i came home and she had shredded the shit out of it pulled it into the middle of the room chewed up the electronics it was an electric lazy boy chair and so it just totally damaged this thing and now i'm paying like one fifth of the price to get it repaired you know three days after i bought it I mean, that's amazing. I'm patting myself on the back. I mean, that's amazing consistency. The work ethic. I mean, wow. That's why they call me the podfather right there. That was a middle finger from Rishi Park. Why he was playing in the final week of the season, I have no idea. I was fucking stupid. If Tim Hightower can do that, what do you think Adrian Peterson's going to do in that role? <laughs> now he's on the New Orleans Saints, and he's an afterthought? What is happening? 
Dalvin Cook's 727 three cone. I'm getting that tattooed. I'll never forget. Why don't you do this? Why don't you get mad at me for, you know, insulting the way that you went through these? And then you say, you know what? I'm ending the show now. We'll we'll pick this up on the next show. I'm starting to regret the fact we even came back on the air. I think that they're going to be good going forward. I don't hate Deshaun Watson as much as you do. I know you don't like Deshaun Watson. Do you want to pay full price when you know, or do you want to pay a lower price early and be the guy that did it before the information came out? I mean, that's how Dynasty goes. So I don't know. Depends on how much you want to invest. You weren't listening to the show. The whole premise of the show was we don't know what these guys are now, and especially we don't know what they're going to be a year from now. So you're drafting Dante Foreman because you think two years from now it's going to be a good offense? You're putting that craving for certainty on steroids. Thank God this is in the outtakes. You didn't say this during the show. I explained the psychological phenomenon for five straight minutes. And now we understand why you threw out the Houston Texans because you weren't listening to anything I was saying. You don't understand the concept at all. And you actually believe that you can forecast with certainty what the Houston Texans offense is going to look like two years from now. (laughs) If there were boxes of cereal in a grocery store,